Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hello, fabulous Take On Board peoples. It's Helia. As you know, I love bringing good women together. It's why I do this podcast. So if you'd like to meet some great women from the Take On Board community, the next Take On Board virtual event is on Tuesday the 16th of March, so you can come from wherever you are in the world. This time we're featuring Hannah Brown on the importance of cybersecurity as an issue for boards. She'll help demystify it for us and there'll be plenty of time for you to ask your questions and uh, know that there is no such thing as a stupid question. Details in the show notes or in the Take On Board Facebook group. There's also a link to that in the show notes or just search Take On Board in Facebook. Okay, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking to Anne Weiberg about some challenges that not-for-profit board directors might experience. In particular, we'll explore putting together a skilled board and she'll also give us some tips and tricks on being a good chair. First, let me tell you about Anne. Anne is the chair of Music SA and has been, I think, for seven or eight years. I'm looking at you there. Just on seven, lucky seven, excellent. And she's also a board member of Tutti Arts. She's a former board member of the State Government's Dog and Cat Management Board and the South Australian Living Arts Festival Board. After six years as an associate producer with the Adelaide Festival, Anne started her own business to continue her work in the music industry and the arts. She's got over 25 years experience in project management, festival and event producing and consultancy with clients including the Adelaide Fringe Festival, the Adelaide Festival and Australian Independent Records. She's currently the head of programming at a new live performance venue in Adelaide due to open in early 2021, which is now. She might tell us a bit more about that soon as well. And is a collaborator, a programmer, a mentor, a networker, a live music lover and a DJ. So you're going to really love her microphone work on the podcast today. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Anne. Thank you. I'm excited. It's so awesome to have you here. So we met at a AICD Women On Boards event thing, God, over a year it was, ago? It or about was a year ago? Just over, yeah. Yeah. It was like November 20. 
19. Yeah, it was back when we could be face-to-face. Yes. Um, back in those days. And I can't even remember how this came about, but I just thought, oh, you're interesting. We should try and get together. And that's almost 18 months ago. And here we are finally getting together yeah. in beautiful Adelaide. So before we talk about getting on boards and recruiting skilled members of boards, I'd love to, as always, dig a little bit deeper about you. So can you tell me a story about young Anne that tells us a bit about how you got to where you are today? I think one of the significant moments in my life was moving from Finland to Australia as a teenager, mm. so I was 14. But even before I got into sort of schoolwork, I think I was already trying to work out how to make friends and I couldn't speak English. So I thought, right, I need to just fit in, in amongst all the girls, particularly the girls. But mm. So cut a long story short, I just wasn't very good at sport. And if you're living in the country um, side of South Australia, if you don't know how to do sport or if you're not very good at it, especially in locks and in the Riverland, um, mm. pretty much you had to come up with another way to mix and be accepted. And this is something I'm talking like sort of the late 70s, so things were very different to now. Anyway, I got right into music and theatre and drama and um, started running events already at age 16, I think I was. Oh, my god! I don't know how I got into being the captain of a sporting team. But I hear <laughs> it wasn't my ball-throwing skills. It was definitely because I just loved organising other people. So... <laughs> I ran my first event when I was 16 in year 11, I think it was, for the whole school. So I had all these performers lined up. I spoke to the director or the um, principal mm. and convinced him that I should have the lunchtime free to use the hall for this concert that I, I was putting together. So, yeah, I kind of started my event management um, <laughs> like career path at that age. What was it? And what was the event? Tell us about it. It was called Rock Arena. So <laughs> I got all my friends to pretend they were superstars or, you know, pop stars of that era. Yes. Um, I think I was Olivia Newton-John in a couple of songs and I had some of my friends were doing the Bee Gees or, the, mm. you know, whatever 70s acts we had. Uh, Mick Jagger or ABBA, you know, it was very <laughs> funny. But I programmed it all. We had costumes, lighting. Oh, my God, <laughs> so I know. I loved it and I thought I knew that was where... I needed to be more. Well, I used to play music a lot, but I was never a musician that had a dream to write my own music or mm-hmm. pursue that path. So I knew that I was, I was going to be on the outskirts and kind of organise better people to get on stage and promote and support them. So that's where it all began. <laughs> Amazing. It's so interesting when I talk to people, well, whether it's for this podcast or for other things, you know, our 16-year-old selves are often exactly where we end up being. So... Well, then it's probably no surprise that a few years down the track, you're now the chair of Music SA. And in fact, I'm thinking even in that role as chair, were you on the board before you were the chair or did you yeah, step for a year? Yeah. See, for a year. And now you've been chair for seven years because chairs do a lot of organising and people wrangling and bringing together, which are the skills that you've developed over many years from, what was it, Rock Arena? Yeah, Rock Arena. <laughs> Back at what, Loxton High? Yeah, Loxton High. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So in your role as chair of Music SA or even some of the other boards that you've been on, can you tell us about some of your experience in recruiting board members and what some of the challenges have been there or even what are some of the lessons you've learned from that? I've learned a lot of lessons, that's for sure. One of my ultimate goals when I first was asked to be the chair was to just look at the membership, look at the, uh, I guess, the skills of that current 
the um, board that was current then, and a lot of the members had been on that board for many, many years. I was the second chair in 16 years. So that was, I think, another challenge, just kind of stepping into somebody's role who'd been there for a long time and pretty much founded the organisation. But then looking at the membership of those people who had been on that board for in some cases like eight or ten years as well mm-hmm. I kind of thought well maybe looking into the future of that board where was it heading who needed to be brought along who had perhaps done what they needed to do on that board and needed to um, move on so that was my first challenge mm. and maybe not a popular sort of <laughs> move at the time you know but I think that's what people do you know you start a new job or as a CEO or in a leadership kind of role mm. you have to make those tough calls yeah. and be a little bit selective about who is happy to come for the ride with you mm. and so within the first couple of years the membership changed quite a bit and for me it was always not just about skills it's personalities as well and I wanted people to be on that board who loved what we did as an organisation who also were able to talk to the rest of the team and not toe the line at all. I've really enjoyed having people on the board who are the antagonist people who challenge me as the chair because if everybody kind of just said yes to everything I say, I think Mm. I would find it boring, number one. But number two, (laughs) I think it would be not a development sort of stage for me in my sort of career as a chair. Mm. I think it needs to be about all of us growing with the organisation and it's good to be challenged. It's good to be asking sort of some of the tougher questions and be willing to be open and I guess that's where the personality comes. Mm. No matter how brilliant you are at your job, if you can't listen to other people, I'm sort of not interested in you as a board member, I suppose. I mean, you know, boards are there to, I was going to say make decisions. It's actually not just to make decisions but they're they're often there to wrestle with complex problems and if you can't have a robust conversation when you're wrestling with a complex problem, well, you're probably not going to wrestle with it all so well. So I can see how you need the right people there that can have that wrestling, but the wrestling in a respectful way. I totally agree with that. And some of the, I guess, most favourite moments on a board mm. have been where there's been a real shift in the decision. Like we started off with the conversation heading one way and by the end of the meeting, we actually made a decision exactly the opposite to what we yeah. had planned. And it's really fascinating then to go back and think about the conversation and and how it started and where it ended and what was that pathway. Wow. Is is there an example in particular that you can think of, uh, one of those favourite moments in the boardroom? Yeah, I'm just That you can share with us? Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to be a little bit vague about it, but it's kind of been a common topic for many organisations similar to us in the music industry. So kind of the pros and cons of becoming a membership-based organisation mm-hmm. and, you know, how do we go from running it the way we are now and what are the pros and cons of changing that yes. way. And we were very close to thinking, no, we need to become a membership organisation and these are all the reasons why and we had very strong opinions on that board at the time. And then it went all the way around and came back again to mm. we're just not in that position to become a membership organisation but then the same conversation started again a couple of years later and we started with with kind of the same pros and cons and Mm. we've gone back to saying no we don't want to be a membership based organisation but for each of those conversations it was very different Mm. like it wasn't because it was different people on the on the board but I've seen it twice now yeah and that's an interesting I think concept for chairs to stay on not just for a year or two like stay on for some of those conversations that start to repeat themselves yeah yeah and it's not a bad thing I think it's good to have that history and there's always a good case to be given to members to kind of 
be on a bit of a rolling mm. departure, you know, so yep. that there's always a little bit of consistency with yes. uh, the history and the um, the IP of Absolutely. the board. Oh, I'll come back to that in a minute, but I just want to check there about, particularly as chair, when those conversations come around again, how do you remind yourself to remain open to the outcomes? Because if you've already had the conversation where you go, nope, that's not the right thing, comes up again. How do you stop yourself from rolling your eyes and going, oh, God, we've had this conversation, the answer's this? That's a really good question. And I have to, like, just be a little bit careful about what I say. Yeah. Because the immediate response that you want to say is, oh, we've been here before, let's move on. Mm. But no, so I actually genuinely want to hear. Yeah from people on the board and maybe circumstances have changed as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe there are different cases for changing the way we do things. Mm -hmm. And I think if the conversation is still measured and if people are still given the opportunity to state their case or whatever, I think that's a good thing. And I hope I've been able to do that. And I think I have. I've I've definitely learnt about sort of... It's not about me. Absolutely, it's not. It has to be about the organisation and the Mm -hmm. benefits to the organisation. Yeah. If I just want to lead and make make changes and rules for myself, then, you know, I'm not doing the organisation any good. So, yeah, it's been a challenge for sure. Mm. And I think the hardest thing is to get the people who don't say much to say a lot more. Absolutely. And, of course, the next question is, how do you do that? From the chair, how do you really engage everyone in the room in these discussions? I'm pretty upfront. So I actually say so-and-so. I haven't heard from you yet. Yeah, love to hear more about your opinions or your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So I just tell people to pay attention to that person next. Mm-hmm. And if there are some serious conversations to be had, I actually go around the table and I include everybody. Yeah. So before the end of that topic, I want to hear and make sure that everyone's heard. And if they don't want to say anything, that's absolutely fine as well. But to be given that opportunity, I think it's important. It's often the really quiet ones that you actually get some gold out of when you give them the stage I suppose yeah and acknowledge the fact that they have something really valuable to add to the conversation absolutely and if people are used to you then going around the room and calling on everybody then they know they'll get their chance at some stage yeah and I like it when other people also kind of challenge me with that and if I'm saying too much I'm happy to be told do yes. they do that in board meetings? Come on, Anne. Not so much You're lately. Like, yes. enough. <laughs> it's time. Do they say that in board meetings? Not this board so much. But yeah, I'm just <laughs> trying to think. <laughs> Happy to be, yeah, absolutely called on it. I think it's important mm. too. Actually, we touched on briefly before you touched on the cadence of board members coming on and coming off. For your board, what's their terms? Is it a three-year two, term? Two, two years term. normally, but yeah, with that flexibility of staying on for longer if you want to be voted in again. And most of our board members, especially in the last, say, two or three years, have been on for two to three years. Yes. couple, there was one who was on for about six, I think, but already from the previous board. So she was on for quite a long time, actually eight years maybe. But I, I encourage that kind of Two years with the option to continue Mm. at least another year, um, just to kind of keep the rolling. And is there a maximum term that people can be on the board? There isn't in our constitution, like we Mm -hmm. haven't said so. And I was tempted to in the early days because of the history of the board. Mm. Um, But it hasn't become an issue Mm. or hasn't been an issue for a while. So, great. And for the skills that you need around the boardroom table for Music SA, what are the key things that are on your skills matrix for having around the table? Four key things. Mm -hmm. Um, 
and everyone would agree with this with every board. So we need an accountant. Mm -hmm. And up until I think it was about four years ago, we had a treasurer who had accounting experience that wasn't an accountant. So mm -hmm. when we finally got an accountant, it just changed everything. Right. It really it changed our financial management. It just put it on another level. Yep. So I'm forever grateful <laughs> for that process. Legal advice, a mm -hmm. lawyer. So we have had a lawyer now. We used to have a consultant who was a lawyer, but to actually have a lawyer on the mm -hmm. board, mm -hmm. I think that's really imperative. And interestingly, both those roles, um, people who have uh, music experience, yeah, so they're both fantastic. artists themselves. So yeah, we're great. very lucky with that. Yes. They still both perform in bands, so that's incredible that we've lucked out there. Yes. Another one is when I say communications or marketing or PR, that can be from all different sectors. So I wouldn't say you need a marketing manager. It can be, I'd say, from a person who has, for us anyway, who has some great contacts in the media. Mm. So having a really good sort of background in marketing helps, but if it's more about the communications mm -hmm. and the good strategies about how to get our profile out and I think that's almost key and the fourth one is industry mm. uh, for us for sure like understanding how the music industry or the arts or both mm -hmm. operate and what goals or what key people we need to know and and sort of I guess understand the processes actually there's a fifth one probably government is another mm. one yep Yep. The state government is a major funding mm -hmm. um, body for us, so Music Development Office, so understanding what the relationships are and yeah. how to nurture those, yeah. I suppose. So that's very, very handy for us. Yep. And anybody else on top of that is a bonus. <laughs> <laughs> how many are on your board? Uh, we've got seven in total, including me. Okay, so that's a good size to get some of those different skills on and you know mix and match as you need to. Yeah. And gender balance as well. So, yes. Yeah. Have you got, how yeah, does, well, pretty like, much like 50, 60, 50, hang on, 60, 60 40. 40. <laughs> <laughs> can't be 50, 50, otherwise I have to cut myself in half. <laughs> Hands on the board for her chairing skills, not her accounting skills, Absolutely. quite clearly. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, it, and in finding those people, like you talked about the treasurer that you've got now and the person on the board who's got legal qualifications. It may have been in recruiting them or just more generally. What are the lessons that you've learned in recruiting people to a board? You have to be really happy to be talking to a lot of people. Mm. I, I'm just always talking to people. <laughs> how we met. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, absolutely. And networking. And, you know, I know networking is kind of one of those almost cliched things that people talk about. But, like, pretty much half of the board members that I've had over the last few years have come from people that I've met somewhere mm. and I've mentioned that we're recruiting or it might have even not been that person I've met but someone they know that's interested. Uh, and I always meet with people face-to-face -face mm -hmm. and sometimes more than once just to kind of get a bit of an idea for how that person fits the board. Mm -hmm. um, I've had a couple of people who I know have got amazing skills and might have been lawyers or accountants or whatever but I just knew that didn't fit as a yeah. personality thing. Yeah. And I didn't want to recruit somebody that I would have to spend a lot of time with mm. once they started and <clears throat> have to kind of do a lot of initiating or orientating them to the, the way the board works or whatever. Just kind of, I guess I'm always mindful of how people can just straight away slot in and yeah. start on the job. Yes. Uh, I wish I had more time, but I just, yeah, I don't have the extra hours it takes. <laughs> so seven years of volunteering has already been pretty... <laughs> 
what's your guesstimate on how much time you put into this role? Oh, my God. I think I might get a little bit depressed if I start oh, counting the okay. hours. <laughs> it's a really good question, though, because in all the program work that I do, mm-hmm. I've always said we need to quantify volunteer hours yes. to make it sound like this is the real time that it takes to put on this event. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people don't do it, and I think it's a real shame because we lose – well, people get a different perspective. They don't realise that there's all this other work that Absolutely. gets done by volunteers. So, okay, I guess, you know, thinking about the hourly rate as well, like, you know. It's, don't think about that. It's thousands. <laughs> it's definitely over seven years I've done thousands of hours. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my guesstimate would be I often say to people for any board, whether it's a not-for-profit board, whatever organisation, private sector, government, whatever it may be, generally – you know, my rule of thumb is it's about 15 hours a month for any board role, but for the chair, my guesstimate is it's double that. M- most chairs of I- organisations I know are spending half a day to a day a week in the role. I think it changes when there are different things happening on the board. Yes. Or if we're going into like a funding round mm-hmm. or I need to recruit members or we're going through a strategic planning, which is yes. what we're doing right now, actually. We had a session last week. So I think then there's sort of the peaks and troughs. And we've had some situations before with staffing or mm. just those things are really difficult and they can take more time. And almost feel a bit nervous when I don't hear from my CEO or the general <laughs> manager for a while. I yes. think, what's going on? It's like, you know, the kids are naughty when they're yeah, that's right. They're noisy. I can't hear anything. <laughs> Something's going wrong. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. So I'm kind of, I like being on top of things and because it's ultimately my job to look after the CEO's appointment or the general manager's appointment, I kind of keep an eye on things a little yeah. bit. I'm not one of those chairs that kind of sits on the shoulder of yeah. of the um, top management at all. Like I'm, I really trust the staff are doing all the right things, but I think it's just being there as a support person as well for the senior person on the staff. That's that's important too. So I was interested before when you, again, when you were talking about the person you've got with accounting skills and the people, person with lawyer skills, that they're both musos as well, mm-hmm. which means that everybody who's on your board has some industry creative experience. For we know that diversity in the boardroom makes for strong decision making and I would love to see the day when there's more creatives, I use the term broadly, like whether it's music or dance or art or whatever it may be, but more creative people in corporate boardrooms and not just corporate Australia coming to creative organisations saying, oh, let me help you out and share on my wisdom, but the other way around where creatives are included, valued, invited to corporate Australia's boardrooms. What are your thoughts around that and, and what's your experience around that? I was actually invited to join a board um, a few years ago, Mm. uh, which was very corporate, state government um, board, and I was invited to join um, because of my creative sort of background Mm. and my... um, Oh, that is so good to hear. Yeah, it was was really daunting to me Mm. uh, coming from not-for-profit sort of organisations and having always worked in the arts and uh, being in a room full of scientists, actually. Yeah. And people who were very academic and from very different backgrounds to me. It took a lot of courage and I think a lot of, what's the word, being quite, trying to be more confident than what I normally (laughs) would need to be, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Really having the, I guess, definitely the confidence to speak up as well. Mm. And I learnt so much about how a state government board functions and how Mm. different that environment is. And I learnt a lot about the fact that I actually have a lot of skills in working on a board and I hadn't really 
thought about until I, I joined that board because it changed my perspective in lots of ways and I was super keen to make all these changes with Music SA and <laughs> as you do, like same as when you do training, you're going to yes. change everything because you've yes. learned all these things and then you get back into the, you know, the run of the thing. The reality of The life. reality of it and the lack of time and everything else. But probably the biggest thing for me was the respect that I had to earn as well. Like I had to really pick and choose the moments where I wanted to mm. contribute to the conversation and I didn't want to sound like the artsy person. Like yes. <laughs> I wanted to come up with hopefully some uh, contributions that made sense and yes. made sense to people who hadn't really spoken to a person like me before. Absolutely. Well, you want to be an equal member of the board and not, inverted commas, just the arts person, you know, which is a two-way street, really. It's pushing through the confidence so that you can say what's on your mind, but it's also those others around the boardroom table really valuing those contributions as well for their difference, for the, the diversity that that brings to the table. Another key thing, mm. it's okay to ask questions. Yes. Because I asked a lot of questions, not straight away, but um, as I was getting more familiar with the way the board papers were laid out even or mm. uh, some of the content because there was so much that had done, been done before I joined um, and some of the board members had been on it for a long time so they knew how it all worked. Yes. For me it was so new and it was quite confronting actually and quite overwhelming. Yes. And the board... Um, meetings went for four to five hours so mm. it was half a day so it was a lot mm-hmm. at first you know having the, the courage to actually sort of ask the questions and I got over that yeah once I got into a bit of a pattern of it I felt like people were also happy to tell me things because yeah. I just asked to me some simple questions but maybe things hadn't been discussed for a while or yes. made sense to most people but not everybody because there yes. was somebody else that was new as well so sometimes the yeah. stupid question is an incredibly valuable question to ask. Yeah, definitely. So that was a good thing to learn, that it's okay to ask questions and it's fine to listen as well. You don't have to be speaking all the time. You learn a lot. Oh, so many wonderful things from our conversation today. What are the key things you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? I think be open-minded about Mm. people who might like to join your board. Mm -hmm. Definitely creative people have a lot to add to any board, I'd say. And maybe having the sort of opportunity for all sorts of backgrounds and, and skilled people to come together is a great thing. You know, it doesn't have to be a lawyer with music background. It can be a lawyer that's just curious and really yes. supportive and passionate about what the organisation does. Mm. But if you can find those people who are then on top of that, a little bit skilled in, in that creative field that mm. your organisation is about, like in our case, music, what a bonus yes. that is. In fact, we've got half of us are kind of from the music industry with music industry background, but the rest are not at all. So, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, it's really good to mix it up, I think. Absolutely. That, actually, that's the key. Mix it up, I yeah. think. That is totally the key. <laughs> that's BJ and speaking. Oh, yeah, it is. <laughs> mix it up. <laughs> totally. Oh, thank you so much. It's been fabulous to reconnect with you after so long and to actually be able to see people face to face, which is exciting for those of us from Melbourne. But thank you so much for sharing all of those tips with the Take On Board community today. It's been fabulous to have you on. Pleasure. I love talking about it. It's an excellent topic. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Hi there. It's Helia. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. 
With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation. Bye.